Thanks for joining us for another message from Southland Church. If you'd like any information about our church, check out our website at mysouthland.com. Five years ago now, seems longer in some respects to me, but five years ago now, my son Matthew and I were offered the chance to support, to be the support team for a marathon cyclist by the name of Arvid Lowen. You may have heard of him. He lives in Winnipeg, and despite being in his 60s, has cycled all over North America, raising funds for Molly's children family, a family of thousands of kids who've been rescued from the streets of Kenya. Arvid holds the record, by the way, for the fastest cycling from Vancouver to Halifax. On this occasion, though, his idea was to do, a bicycle, do on a bicycle what motorcyclists call the iron butt challenge, uh, for obvious reasons, as you'll see. It's to cross North America diagonally from the furthest point north by road to the furthest point south by road. Specifically, that means from a place called Dead Horse, Alaska, on the Beaufort Sea, all the way down to Key West, Florida. Our job was to watch over him on the first leg from Dead Horse to Winnipeg. That's a distance of just over 5,000 kilometers. I've never heard of Dead Horse before. Likely you haven't either. It's the terminus of the Dalton Highway, which is 666 kilometers. That should give us a clue. It's not nice. 666 kilometers of murderous gravel road rated as one of the most dangerous roads in the world, the last half of which is over barren, frozen tundra. It's got to be one of the craziest names for a place. My first thought as we arrived there was, dead horse, I guess so. No horse could survive up here. Halfway up the road, there's a place called Coldfoot. Now, I could wrap my head around that one. Where I'm going with this is that what interested me the most was that at the beginning of, we were there at the beginning of July, and the sun never sets. It's sunny 24 hours straight. I even got up, set my alarm, and got up at 3 in the morning just to walk out and see for sure the sun was still shining. But there's another side, right? You know what that means this time of year. 19 days ago, on November 24th, that same sun set in Dead Horse and hasn't returned. They won't see the daylight again until a glimmer appears on January 18th. That's 55 days of darkness. Nearly two full months when the sun doesn't shine because of the Earth's tilt. All across the north, above the Arctic Circle, it has gone dark already. But when the sun rises... When the sun rises for a moment in the middle of January, all the towns come out to celebrate. They celebrate because finally there is light again, and they celebrate the fact that, frankly, they don't live in Alert, which is the furthest north occupied uh, town in the world. It's in Canada, on Ellesmere Island. They lost their light two full months ago and have more than two months yet to go before it comes back. We've all experienced physical darkness. At least it's only confined to a short period, usually at night, or sometimes when we want to scare ourselves in an enclosed space with no windows where the light is intentionally turned off. But you can still find yourself confused in the dark, can't you? It's a true story. One hot summer night, Sandy McIntosh's kids were complaining about all the mosquitoes in the house. 
She didn't want to wake everybody up, so she left the light out and in the dark, went into the kids' room, sprayed all of of her kids, sprayed the rooms with insect repellent, and went back to bed. The next morning, she discovered to her horror that she'd covered the kids, the bedding, and the walls with blue spray paint. She said it smelled kind of funny, and I guess so. No word on what happened to the mosquitoes. Problems happen when you can't see clearly, when you're in the dark. Jennifer and I happened to be in Windsor, Ontario, when the largest blackout in North American history happened midday in August 2013. We were there to watch Matt play a baseball game, and like everyone, that might be, yeah, 2003, was it 2003? Oh, whatever. We were there to watch Matt play in a baseball game, I think it was 2003. Uh, to watch Matt play in a baseball game, and like everyone else, we expected the power to come back on. Except the power didn't come back on. Then, just at dusk, and the game, the game is about to be called because it was getting dark, a player on Matt's team breaks his wrist in a collision, and we're the only ones there who've driven all the way there, and we were there in our own car. We just arrived that afternoon and didn't know Windsor from anywhere else, and we volunteered to drive him to the hospital. But by the time we got on the road, the entire city has gone completely pitch black dark, not a single light to be seen anywhere. And then it dawns on me that there are also, therefore, no traffic lights working either. This is physical darkness, and it can get a little frightening. It sometimes wasn't even apparent that we were going through a major intersection until as we went through it, we would look up and in the, just in the reflection from our headlights, see the light standards, meaning we'd just gone through a busy intersection and didn't see a thing. Long story short, we guessed that if any place would have an emergency generator light, it would be a hospital. So we just drove around Windsor, all over the place, taking chances, and finally, yet yeah, we found a place with lights on, and it was the hospital. We made it. Driving in the dark with no lights on is frightening. Walking into a scary, shadowy, dark place raises our anxiety level. Nobody likes to be scared to death. We associate the dark with fear. It's one of our most common fears. When our boys were little, we had a Kermit Frog nightlight, right? Having it helped them to sleep peacefully at night. Many of you probably still use them. When we got older somehow, it seems that we're not as afraid of sleeping in the dark as we once were. We're not afraid of monsters under the bed or, or the closet where they're lurking as much as when we were children. No. Our fears are much more serious. You see, we are afraid of the darkness because of how we associate darkness with bad things, with evil. There is a deeper darkness than the physical. There's an emotional and spiritual darkness. We've taken the word dark and associated it with dark times, dark clouds, dark thoughts, dark days. Jesus himself used the metaphor of people wandering in darkness. He's not talking about physical darkness here. He's talking about a personal, deep, soul-searching darkness. And everybody knows what that looks like. Everybody has dark days. Everybody knows what it is to walk in that kind of darkness. I dare say that the events of both COVID-19 and our struggles here at the church of late have led most of us to a dark day or two. 
There's the obvious and very serious health issues we're facing, some intimately right now, and oh, how I ache for you in all that you're facing. Some of my friends are struggling for their very breath in this moment. It might be a deep relationship in which you feel betrayed. It may be a task that has been given to you in which you, there is no glory, there is no visible reward attached to it. It might be a call to keep fighting against the same temptation that you have fought against over and over and over and over again. And in the darkness, you so long to just give up and give in. It may be the call to be faithful to a promise, to a life of sacrifice, to a level of giving that is just fatiguing you, to pouring yourself out in ministry for people who don't, frankly, in your estimation, deserve it. I don't know what it looks like for you, but I know this. Every human being that ever lived must walk in darkness sometime. You don't want to get out of bed. You're afraid to face the world. You don't feel like it's worth the effort. You just want to throw in the towel. You don't want to see anybody. Maybe this holiday season will tempt you to go to dark places as it reminds you of someone you wish you could see but cannot, someone you've lost. We all go through dark days. So without being a prophet of doom, I can say with great authority that you have some darkness coming your way. And so do I. There is an old Arab proverb that says, all sunshine and no rain makes a desert. All sunshine and no rain makes a desert. Meaning if you never have any down times, any dark times, any gloominess in your life, you'll wither up and dry up. You'll have no depth to yourself, no maturity to lean on. Life is a mixture, you see, of pain and pleasure, of victory and defeat, of success and failure. And so today I want us to start off by just briefly looking at four broad categories these dark days fall into, and then afterwards we'll look at how God helps us to deal with them, to walk with them. You probably can relate to at least one of these, if not all. First, there's the dark day, the darkness of disappointment. Job has to be the poster child for this. He said, I hoped for happiness and light, but trouble and darkness came instead. Who can relate? Who hasn't felt that way? Hoping for one thing, but terribly disappointed when it doesn't happen. There's been a lot of disappointing news in 2020 around the world and, of course, in our church and our community. In the last few weeks, there's been email after email and phone call after phone call involving family tragedies, marital breakdowns, loss of employment, medical traumas, emotional meltdowns, and the list just goes on and on. The fact is, life is disappointing sometimes. Things don't always work out as planned. Situations don't always play out the way you think they should. Just remember back to looking at the presents under the tree. Presents at Christmas, you see them under the tree, and you think you know what they are. Some of you are in for disappointment. As a boy, I can remember looking at a big round present under the tree, and I thought, oh, I can't believe it. I'm finally getting my own basketball. On Christmas, I opened it up, it was a globe. I imagine that almost every one of us has seen that big box under the tree with our name on it and have agonized over the waiting until finally it's been laid before us and ripping through the wrapping to find, you guessed it, socks and underwear. 
I imagine Mary experienced disappointment that very first Christmas. She's young. She's poor. She's a devout believer in God, we're told, and she's very much in love and is pledged or engaged to Joseph. Between the pledge and the wedding feast in those days was a period usually lasting six months to a year. During that period, the couple was considered to be married and were called husband and wife, but they did not live together or have marital relations. Like brides-to-be everywhere, I'm sure Mary can hardly think of anything but her upcoming wedding. The guest list, the decorations, the food, the music, the dress. I'm guessing that Mary had probably never been happier. And if she could have, she would have wanted to hang up a do not disturb sign on her plans, on her life right then. And her, but then all of a sudden, things drastically, drastically change for her. God enters the scene. He's about to ask an unknown teenage girl to take part in something beyond belief, frankly, that will change Mary and Joseph's lives and the course of history forever. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. Joseph had to be disappointed. Excuse me. He probably thought his life was pretty well planned. His marriage and his vocation were all arranged neatly in front of him. But that was all about to change. Because Joseph, her husband, was a righteous man and did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. Life is disappointing sometimes. We go through dark days of disappointment. And then there are dark days of distress. That's when you feel overwhelmed, when you're stressed out, stretched to the limit, frustrated. You came to and let go of the end of your rope some time ago already. You've got too much to do. You don't have enough time. You don't have enough money. You don't have enough energy. Mary probably felt distressed that very first Christmas. In the first place, she's nine months pregnant, and she had to travel 150 kilometers from Nazareth to to Bethlehem. That's the definition of distress. Then she has her first baby all by herself, alone in a stable. More stress. Even in our day, surrounded by the latest and greatest in medicine, it's still a stressful time. I remember when I was in the delivery room at Matthew's birth. Jennifer was induced on the early side, and it was an incredibly rough and stress-filled labor. Lots of incredible pain, breathing exercises, moaning, crying, and extremely tiring. And then I looked over at Jenny, and she was having a hard time too. My guess is that some of you are in dark days of distress right now. You may be stressed out financially. There's too much of the month left over at the end of the money. You can be stressed out physically. Your get up and go got up and went. You don't feel good. You don't feel like doing anything. You can be stressed out relationally. Your relationships aren't working out right with your spouse, your kids, your friends, your boss. You can be stressed out spiritually as well. What is God doing here? Why is my soul downcast? You're journeying through the dark days of stress. And then there's the dark days of doubt. The one who walks in the dark does not know where he's going, Jesus said. He's drifting. There's no clear objective. Do you ever lose your way? Do you ever feel like your head is in a fog? When you look at your past, you get disappointments. When you look at your present, you get stress. When you get a look into your future, you get doubtful and worried. 
The fact is there are plenty of reasons for us to have doubts and uncertainty as we finish 2020. What's going to happen with the virus? What's going to happen with our jobs? What will I do? Sometimes it seems the choice is between bad and worse. An angel appears to Mary, and there's doubt. How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin? The angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come on you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Think about Joseph. He must have felt betrayed. There could only be one conclusion. Mary must have been unfaithful. Her story was just too hard to believe. He's a jilted lover. When you think about it, that is nothing new. People are unfaithful to one another all the time. In fact, if it weren't for jilted lovers, country and western music would never have happened. A few years ago, I was attending a meeting and I was sharing the story of the blackout we were in and another fellow at the table from Northern California told us that one night after church, he was coming home and couldn't see two feet in front of him because of the blowing snow. He pulled onto the road and all he could see were the taillights of the car immediately in front of him. So he followed real closely. He figured the guy knew where the road was and he kept following him until about five minutes later, the guy suddenly stops dead cold and the pastor smacks right into the back of him. He jumps out of his car, still trying to be the nice pastor guy, and he says, Sir, what are you doing just stopping like that? And the other guy looks at him and says, well, this is my driveway. See, in the dark, it's hard to know where you're going. When you have dark days of disappointment and dark days of distress and dark days of doubt, it leads to dark days of despair. That's when everything seems to cave in. That had to cross Mary's mind. Mary's been told you're going to give birth to the promised Messiah, the Son of God. But then comes the government decree that they need to go to Bethlehem for a census, which is obviously leading towards more taxes. It's 150 kilometers, four to five day walk for a fit person, not one in the final stages of pregnancy. By the way, there's just no mention of any form of transportation being used. We've just sort of added that as a hopeful thought. But now having said that, it is certainly possible that Joseph may have been able to have, have been able to call Hertz and get a donkey for Mary to ride. But even then, 150 kilometers, it still would have hurts big time, right? Walking or riding for days on end, about to deliver at any moment, and to top it all off, she finds herself in a stable. I think that would lead anyone towards despair. Is nothing going to go our way? We're not in the Bethlehem Holiday Inn. We're not in the Mount Zion Hilton. We're not even in the Motel Sticks. We're in the back, in a hollowed-out cave in the rocks where the animals are kept and fed. When you're in despair, you feel like, what's the point? You feel like giving up. In World War II, Winston Churchill said, when the war started in Europe... The light has gone out in Europe. Some of you may feel like that in your life. Most of you, I suspect, have faced a major crisis this last year. Maybe it was a result of the virus. Maybe you got laid off. You faced illness, the death of a loved one, a divorce, a defeat. The simple fact is you don't feel like being happy. This happiness that is supposed to surround the holidays right now only intensifies your pain and loneliness. When you're in that kind of situation, you wonder, does, does anybody care? 
Did you hear that in the remarks that Shana read to us earlier? Does anybody care? Everywhere I turn, the outlook is dark. You're not alone in that. Let me take you back to a very, very, very dark time. What I want to walk through with you might surprise you a little bit because when we look at the Christmas story, we often miss the very first thing about that first Christmas Eve. It was dark. It was not only dark that night, but it had been dark for quite a long time. 400 years of darkness. 400 years had gone by since the last prophets had spoken from God. And the world had become a very dark place indeed. Even though God had repeatedly warned his people about the consequences of turning away from him, even warned them about having a king instead of looking to him for guidance and leadership. And now not only had they been occupied by a secular army from Rome, but the king in place was just out and out evil. The world was a very dark and dreary place 2,000 years ago, and it seemed like darkness was winning. The Roman Empire was at its zenith and ruled with an iron fist. Their only interests were acquisition and plunder. The Jewish leaders of the day were frankly no better. What had once been a group of people set apart and blessed by God as his chosen people were now a ragtag, motley crew with an illegal, propped-up leader. Herod was not really the true king of Israel. He was appointed by the Roman Caesar. He was a puppet king, a phony, not even from the royal line. He was placed as a resident king by the Roman Empire to do their bidding, and all of the Jews hated him. He was so paranoid about losing his power and prestige that he was systematically killing off anyone who posed even the slightest the slightest threat to his leadership, even within his own family. He had all of his children killed. He had his wife killed. He had other relatives killed. So paranoid that you may recall upon hearing of Jesus' birth and knowing the prophecy that he would be king, he sent his legions to Bethlehem to kill every baby boy under the age of two for just a millisecond picture that slaughter. It happened. It's dark. It's very dark. Now remember that the Roman Empire excelled in brutality and cruelty. They were the ones to institute crucifixion as the most horrible way to be put to death. And yet, listen to this, it was the Roman emperor of the day himself who is quoted as saying that he would rather be Herod's pig than Herod's son. Human life had become very cheap. Darkness seemed to rule the world, and it's spiraling ever darker. Most of God's chosen people had lost their way, and perhaps worst of all, they were even becoming comfortable, becoming used to it. Then into the darkness came another black night, just like all the rest of the black nights. There was nothing that would distinguish it from any other at its outset. The kind of night that swallowed everything and turned it all into dim, unformed shapes that defied recognition. The shepherds out on the hillsides were glad for the dark because it brought cool night breezes and the sheep rarely moved in this kind of darkness. It made watching them simple, as did their white coats, which alone seemed to stand out in the darkness. 
Truth be told, most of the shepherds were probably asleep, like the sheep, each one thinking the others were awake and watchful. Suddenly, with no warning, the black sky explodes with brightness. The darkness is gone. Trees and rocks that have been shadows jump into stark relief. Sheep that had been silent become a chorus of curiosity, their whiteness now looking a dirty gray in the face of this immense, brilliant light. One minute the shepherds were deep asleep, the next they're rubbing their eyes, not just because of the brilliant glare, but because there before them, outlined in all splendor, is an angel. Now, none of these shepherds had ever seen an angel before, but the light, the glory that shone around him was a dead giveaway. And speaking of dead, that was what they thought they were going to be in any moment. People Ordinary people at that did not often survive close encounters with God. But this was different. The angel assured him, don't be afraid. This is good news. God was about to do something that had never been done before in the history of man. God was about to do something that defied the natural law which governed all of us that he put into place. God was about to do something so amazing, so miraculous, so beyond the ordinary that most had never even dreamed of it. You see, from the time of Adam and Eve, mankind's relationship with God had been kind of, well, a little dark. God was God, and people were people. God was holy and righteous and perfect, and people were anything but. Mankind would make a mess of things. The outlook would get pretty dark, and then God would step into the situation and bail them out. Sure, he would continue to warn them that they were not getting the point that no matter how hard they tried, they were not getting any closer to being holy and perfect and righteous on their own. They couldn't see that they were never going to be able to bridge the gap that existed between themselves and God. There were a lot of people back then, and there are even more now, who were comfortable with that arrangement. I believe there is a God, but he's way up there, and I'm way down here, and that really doesn't have any significance or impact on me. Sure, things are a little dark right now, but I'm getting used to it. And I like it that way. It's the new normal. And so it continued. Things pretty much as to be expected. Status quo, God there, people here. Light there, dark here. But God loves to shine light into the darkness. He did it on the first day of creation. Into the dark, he spoke his first recorded words. Let there be light. And when the light shone that first Christmas Eve and Jesus was born, the world was dark no more. God had come down to shed light on who he really was and what he truly desired. Jesus himself described it this way, I have come as light to shine in this dark world so that all who put their trust in me will no longer remain in the dark. He came to earth to tell us that he is much more interested that we would get to know, much more interested that we would get to know him, not just know about him. He wants to have a personal, one-on-one relationship with each of us, not an ordinary religion, an extraordinary relationship. You may have thought you could never have that relationship. You may have thought that God doesn't care about you, that you are a nobody. You're wrong. You may have thought that with the universe to run, God doesn't have time for you. You're so wrong. You may have thought your darkness is so deep that it cannot be penetrated. You're wrong. There is no such darkness that cannot be penetrated with light. Light always wins over darkness. 
God came at Christmas to tell you and to show you that he loves you and that if you would like to know him, his light will shine in you and through you. If you don't get anything else, get this. God cares. He cares about you. You matter to him. Your pain matters to him. He cares about you. He sees your plight and answers it with light. Every one of us have been or will be in one of these three or four situations. Some of us are headed into dark days. We don't know it yet, but we're headed right for them. Some of us are experiencing dark days right now. We're right in the middle of it. Some of you have just come out of some darkness, and you don't realize that the promise is there will be more yet to come. In this world, you will have trouble. See, that's what life is all about. One problem-solving incident after another. One opportunity after another to grab hold of God's hand and ask him to help you through it. So where do you turn in your dark days? What's the antidote? Well, you all know what it is, right? The antidote to darkness is light. And Samuel says, You, Lord, are my lamp. The Lord turns my darkness into light. He is the light of the world. He came to light up our dark days. Because of Christmas, you don't have to stay in the dark anymore. Jesus wants to light your way. His light, first of all, encourages us when we're disappointed. In Psalm 34, it says, The Lord is close to the brokenhearted and rescues those who are crushed in spirit. The first way God encourages us is to tell us he's near. He's not left us. No question that 2020 will go down in history for many of, us, many of us as the toughest of times. Disappointing in so many ways. You didn't get to do all the things you planned and counted on to accomplish. Your hopes and dreams for 2020 didn't happen. Mary and Joseph's plans didn't happen either. They got interrupted. But listen again at the angel's words to them. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you are highly favored. The Lord is with you. And after explaining to her what is going to happen, the angel gave her words to wash away her despair. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age, and she was said to be barren. She's now in her sixth month, for nothing is impossible with God. And then an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, God with us. Do you see God's encouragement to them and to us? The Lord is with you. Nothing is impossible with God. Where is God? He's where he's always been. He hasn't left. He's Emmanuel. He's God with us. He encourages us in disappointing times by reminding us we never get to go through anything alone. He's always with us. He encourages us by helping us realize that he's got a design, a plan, a purpose for our lives, and his purposes will not be thwarted. But God, does not use, but God does use disappointment sometimes to get our attention. It's like a red flashing light sometimes. He wants to say to those of us who have been through disappointing experiences recently, yes, you have pain and you have problems, but my purpose for your life is far greater than the problem that you're facing. There is purpose behind it. He encourages us and reminds us that he is with us when we're disappointed. His light strengthens us when we're distressed. There's a great verse that just kind of deals with this from Philippians 4. I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. 
I am competent. I am capable. I am able to handle no matter what comes my way. Uh, on my own power, no way. But with the power that God puts in my life through Jesus, nothing can devastate me. No defeat can come to me no matter what happens because I can face it. Not on my own, but he will strengthen me when I'm distressed. There are 150 psalms in the Bible. The theme of the psalms, if you want to encapsulate it, basically is life is tough, but God is good. When you start saying it around the other way, life is good and God is tough, you've got it all wrong. Life is tough, but God is good. He says, I will not only encourage you when you're disappointed, but I will strengthen you when you're distressed. There are 365 fear knots in the Bible, one for every day of the year. God says, get the message, don't be afraid, I will strengthen you when you're distressed. And his light guides us when we're doubtful. When I'm confused, when I don't know which way to go, Jesus said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. What are you worried about? What's got you uptight? What's keeping you awake at night? Your stomach churning. Life is a series of choices and decisions. You can't know that there's a way. You just, on your own, you have to trust that God knows. I don't know what is in front of you. I don't have a clue, but what is the place where we should go? We should go to the one who knows the beginning and the end. We should go to the one who promises to guide us through. On what basis are you making your decisions? Well, it felt like the right thing to do. Feelings are highly unreliable. You might have eaten some lentils or chickpeas the night before. It's not a good way to make decisions on a feeling. Everybody's doing it. When you face doubts, there is one reliable source that you will always can go to that will give you the right advice and never steer you in the wrong direction. It's called God's word. It will never steer you the wrong way. It's the only reliable guide for life. It's like a flashlight, we're told. It illuminates the path ahead of us. It illuminates it so we can see. It keeps us from stumbling in the dark. But there's a proviso that comes with this. You can't just read the words and claim it. You actually have to own it. You actually have to act on those words. It's worth noting the responses of Mary and Joseph in what had to be the most surprising and unbelievable ask ever given by God to his people. I am the Lord's servant, Mary responds. May it be to me as you have said. And then the angel left. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. But he had no union with her until she gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus. They obeyed. And he will change us when we're in despair. Here again, we need perspective. God doesn't want to just pat us on the back and say, there, there, cheer up. He wants us to change. In fact, he wants to use despair to help us learn new things, new attitudes, new thoughts, new approaches, new choices. He doesn't want to just keep us going. He wants us to change, and he can bring that about if we're willing. He says, don't try to drive out darkness with more darkness. It doesn't work. Flip on the light. Ephesians 5.9 says, this light within you produces only what is good and right and true. When you allow Christ to fill your life with his spirit, it brings out the best in you. His light starts to dwell inside of you. He dispels the darkness in your life with his light. Not anything or anybody else can do that. When the light of God shines on our life, it brightens us up so much that we actually start to glow. We start being a brighter person, shining out to people around us. This Christmas, you may feel overwhelmed. Maybe you're going through one of those dark times. 
The good news is, because of Christmas, there is now a light in the world. There is now a light in us that can drive away that darkness. And it shines. It shines. So what is our response? I'll give you four quick action steps you can put into play in your life today. And all of them start with pray, okay? Pray about everything. Pray and, number one, look for the light. Choose to keep your eyes focused on Jesus. When I think about the Christmas story, it's amazing to me about how the wise men saw to follow the star from the east. I'm sure many other people saw it. It was up there in the sky. It was big. It was obvious. Anybody could see it. Probably millions of people saw the bright, unusual light in the sky, but they didn't do a thing about it. Millions of people did nothing about it. But wise men followed the light, and wise people today still follow the light. It's one thing to know there's a light in the world. It's another thing to follow the light. The point is, you can choose darkness or light today. You can choose to live in the dark nights of the soul or the winter of our discontent in Shakespeare's language. You can live in those dark nights or you can choose to live in the light. God shines the light into our lives. He shines. He shines the sun on everybody. But you can find a shadow to hide in if you want. It's your choice. God shows you the light, but you can choose to put a blindfold on or close your eyes and not look. But why? But why? With all its fear and faltering and failure, why walk in darkness? If you want to get out of the dark days, then you must choose to start living in the light. It's your choice. I'm not talking about religion or rituals or rules or regulations. I'm talking about a relationship to the person who made you. God, your creator. That's what Christmas is all about. He said, I came to light up the darkness in the world and in people's lives. The first step for many of you is just to open your, open your heart to that, to receive the gift and say, Jesus, I accept the gift of who you are, the light you bring to my life. Pour your spirit into me your love in my life. If you haven't done that, you can do that simply today. What a perfect time at Christmas to accept the gift. Others of you have already made that decision. You made it in the past and maybe you've drifted away. Your heart's grown, grown cold. You've, you've got away from what you know. Let the light of Christmas warm your heart once again. In our care team meeting this week, I was reminded that every single one of God's promises, and there are some 7,000 plus, which when you think about it would mean you can look up a promise of God every single day for the next 20 years. These promises are like rays of light shining into our dark world. Secondly, always remember that God is with you. Many of you have been going through dark days or you're getting ready to go into them. You don't have to go it alone. The good news is that God has come into this world. He can and is with you. And number three, reflect the light. If the church has lost its luster, it may be due to our feeble attempts to produce light rather than reflect light. How much greater would be our impact if we started being better mirrors of the sun? We do that by living lives that reflect a love for the Savior and for others and by spreading the message of forgiveness and eternal life in Jesus. How can you do that this Christmas season? Well, let God lead you. Let God lead you to creative ideas to share his love with others. Join in our goal to provide Christmas dinners to those who need that encouragement. And finally, rely on God's plan and protection. 
Even when I walk through the darkest valley, I will not be afraid, for you are close beside me. Don't you love that the valleys aren't a dead end? The key word in that verse is through. As his followers, we go through these things with our shepherd. We don't have to stay there. The darkest valleys are not our intended dwelling place. We're just passing through. Lightness or darkness, it's your choice today. Choose light. Choose life. Would you listen into these words now and make them your own? Thanks again for joining us for our weekend message. If you have any needs or prayer requests, please give us a call at 204-326-9020 or email prayer at myselfland.com. Once again, our phone number is 204-326-9020 and the email address is prayer at myselfland.com.